Welcome to the Ethical Conversations podcast. Today I'm chatting with Eugenia from Vegan Hong Kong Blog about consumerism, culture and climate change. Eugenia is a blogger and Instagrammer in Hong Kong and she talks all about slow travel, veganism and all that good sustainability stuff. So be sure to check her out. You can find her on Instagram at Eugenia and on her blog veganhkblog.com. Hello and welcome to this Zoom recorded podcast. Eugenia, how are you today? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm really excited to be on this podcast talking with you. I'm really excited to have you and I'm really excited to learn more about your sustainable living journey, your experience of it in Hong Kong and also your travels. So could you start off by telling us a little bit about your sustainable journey, where you started, what got you into thinking about the environment? Mm -hmm. So in Hong Kong, I've always been living on an outlying island. Most people know Hong Kong for a city, but getting home, I've always had to take a ferry to get home, take a ferry to go to school. So I feel like being on this ferry has always connected me like being on the water, and it's always more and see more of the city. Mm-hmm. And so I think exploring and going on these adventures have always made me more connected to nature in general. Um, but I think... The turning point for me was the first time I went diving mm-hmm. um, in the Philippines. Because after I went diving for the first time, my instructor, our group, a speech about mm-hmm. how marine life mm-hmm. and having just been underwater and seeing firsthand like marine life and its, its habitat. Yeah. I think that really affected me and made me realize the impact of our everyday purchases and our. Um, like our purchase plastic and how that mm-hmm. can affect um, nature. Mm-hmm. So after that, I've been trying to be more involved with lobbying for like a plastic straw ban or plastic bag ban in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, something that I did when I first learned about this was I um, signed up for this grant with an organization called Kids for Kids. And mm-hmm. with that grant, I was able to work with different restaurants Shawns and mm-hmm. help them come up with alternatives to plastic shawls. So I also collaborated with like a paper straw organization and we sort of incorporated that into their businesses um, so it could be a bit more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I've also worked at a zero waste bulk food store. And um, I'm not sure if you've heard of, the, heard of the organization Bye Bye Plastic Bags, but it was an organization founded in Bali with the aim mm-hmm. of um, banning plastic bags on the island. And so I started the Hong Kong branch of that as well. And recently I've been trying to become more involved with like um, food activism and climate change through changing our diets as well. Because I realized that has a significant link to climate change. Mm -hmm. So did you become a vegan after learning about sustainability? And that's a big part of your online presence, right? Yeah, I actually became vegan around the time that I became interested in sustainability, mm-hmm. it was more of like moral issues that mm-hmm. led me to become vegan. But <laughs> recently, um, I've sort of noticed the links between climate change and our diets. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to sort of mesh the two together and make people realize that how we, the way we eat can mm-hmm. um, influence our carbon footprints as well. Not only through being vegan or reducing meat consumption, but also through like our food waste, um, mm-hmm the way our food is cultivated and yeah just many ways yeah so can you tell us a little bit about your trip to Nepal why were you there what were you doing there and what you learned from it yeah so 
I actually recently went to Nepal. It was um, for uh, with a gap year program called mm-hmm. Where There'd Be Dragons. And it was mostly a cultural experience, but there was also a lot of trekking. We lived in a Buddhist monastery to learn about different like spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And we also lived on a permaculture farm for a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the cultural aspect of it was mostly living with host families. So we lived in a rural village while learning the language. And we also lived in an urban setting where we completed independent study projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine was actually cooking. And so every day I would learn a bit of the Nepali cuisine. Mm-hmm. But some, something that was quite special about this program that I went on is that during these three months, we were completely device-free. And mm-hmm. so we had no phones and we'd only have access to internet maybe once every three weeks. And we'd use our instructor's laptops to maybe contact home and that was just it. Yeah. There was like an emphasis on disconnecting to reconnect with each other mm-hmm. and um, another thing was that we traveled for three months with only a 40 liter backpack and mm-hmm. that was pretty much that just contained all our belongings for mm-hmm. that duration of time and so we had about five outfits and just <laughs> like 10 pairs of socks and underwear maybe mm-hmm. and that would that just kept us going for the whole time. So you, how did you decide what to pack? I assume the program gave a suggested packing list? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had a suggested packing list and sort of based on the itinerary we would plan around that and pack what seemed necessary. And did you find that you used everything that you had or maybe there were some things that you packed that you didn't actually need? I think surprisingly having only five outfits was enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, because although we wouldn't do laundry a lot, because most of the time, I mean, all of the time we were hand washing our clothes, mm-hmm. it sort of made me realize that when you're traveling, it becomes a lot more unstigmatized to rewear clothes over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize that when you're wearing these clothes, they don't actually get that dirty. But because when you're in normal life, mm-hmm. if I can call it that, um, it almost becomes like a societal expectation to constantly wear new clothes. Otherwise, it looks as if you you don't have anything or like mm-hmm. you're not keeping up with the trends. So it was interesting to see how that became normal and that became something that was accepted when we were traveling. So something that I feel like was essential is one of those all-purpose soaps mm-hmm. that could you use for laundry dishes that are light but also compact yeah that was definitely very helpful because you could use it during your trek but also when you're living in the homestays and just pretty much for any occasion mm-hmm. but I think yeah I think fitting everything in a 40 liter backpack was a reasonable size and everything managed to it managed to get us through this period of time and did you find that not having your devices did actually help you to connect with people on a deeper level Oh yeah, for sure. Especially during the homestays, in particular when we were staying at the rural homestays, um, the families that we were staying with didn't actually know much English. So during that time, we were pretty much forced to learn their language and really engage with the community. And I think that if we had devices, we'd constantly be using, say, Google Translate or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas in our situation, we could seek help from our family members or from our host family members and really try to communicate with them despite the language barrier yeah and I think it was especially, especially unique because we were there during one of their most important festivals called Tihar and I think because we were so focused on being present and being with the people around us we could 
truly enjoy the, the celebrations that were going around us. Yeah, whereas if we had devices, we might have been more disengaged from everything that was taking place and perhaps be more focused on putting on social media or just, yeah, just sharing it with other people when we could be enjoying the moment ourselves. Yeah, and do you think that's become quite a big problem with travelling? People do a lot of things just for the Instagram. We always want to consume all the time and we kind of put out all the time. Because even just scrolling down your Instagram, you're taking things in. Do you think that really not having that pressure to put on social media and that changed your like travel experience? I don't know if you've been on a travel experience where you have put a lot of content on social media or felt like you needed to share what was going on. Did you notice a big difference in the two? Yeah, I think I definitely noticed a difference um, just not having devices and not having the pressure of having to present something on social media. Mm-hmm. I think especially when you're, just adding, as an example, we would be taking 10-hour bus rides through mm-hmm. uh, the country to get to one air, one place to another. And it was really nice because we, we wouldn't have devices to distract us from, say, even like enjoying the view or just... Mm-hmm sitting with each other and maybe just having conversation um i think so many of the time people when they go to a nice site they would spend so many hours trying to get nice photos of themselves or Mm -hmm. trying to get nice photos of the view and stuff and while we did try to get nice photos of the view i think there were more for our own memories to like preserve the memories and look Mm -hmm. back at them in the future more so than to show off to someone that we had gone to this place so what do you think that this trip taught you about sustainability yeah, surprisingly, I don't think I realized this in the moment when I was in Nepal, but coming back and reflecting on my experiences, I think these three months taught me a lot about sustainability in ways that I never really imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, just one experience that caught my eye was when I was walking through one of the local villages in Nepal. And I remember seeing these, I think it was like three boys, they were playing table tennis on their own sort of DIY um, uh, table that they created. So instead of using a net and the usual rackets that you would see, they had used corn cobs and Mm -hmm. stones to create the net. And then as the racket, they were just using their hands. And I know that this may not have been their intention to be sustainable or to like upcycle materials, but it sort of made me realize that when you're not expect, there's no, I guess, cultural or social expectation to constantly have to get the newest thing or like the, um, yeah, get the newest thing or get the most upgraded version of something. Mm-hmm. You can really figure out how to make use of the resources that you have and be content with the materials that are given to you. And just, mm-hmm. I guess also it made me realize that the culture that you're in can really affect how you respond in terms of the environment and also how you treat the environment. I think that also having only five outfits with me and cycling between few items made me realize that so many of the time the things that we have in our lives are just burdens and you don't really need things like a dishwasher or a washing machine to make you feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are really just things that appease our desires for efficiency and have been marketed to, to us as like essentials do you think that then it's up to us people who are spending their money who are consuming just regular citizens to be the solution to climate change this is actually something i've been thinking a lot about recently after coming back from nepal was that perhaps 
a better way of framing it might not be consumers, but rather citizens, Mm -hmm. just because the term consumers assumes that we have the money to make to make change we have the money to vote with our dollars and it eliminates people who may not have the purchasing power to make these financial decisions whereas i feel like by describing ourselves as citizens we give ourselves the roles to inspire other people and also live by our values but then again i don't think that the solution to climate change lies solely in the hands of individuals while individuals do play a significant role i don't think I think it's also important that climate action involves governing bodies just because they have more political power and they can create more change that will ultimately affect everyone's actions. You talked about your travel in Nepal and the societal differences between our society that we're used to. What do you think that we can learn from non-Western societies about consumption and sustainability? I think something in particular that stands out between Nepal and the, the culture that I experienced and mm-hmm. dominant Western societies or Western like philosophy mm-hmm. is that, oh, I learned this in psychology class. There's mm-hmm. these different cultural factors mm-hmm. called collectivism versus individualism. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Western thought more predominantly lies in individualism where people are more focused on like individual achievement, individual achievement. And collectivism is more emphasis on family and community ties. Mm -hmm. I think this was a very obvious case of these differences being manifested. And I think that the fact that Nepal is a much more collectivist culture and they emphasis community a lot made me realize how even how kindness and generosity can be a face of collective success. For example, they have a festival that's dedicated to celebrating their brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And in the Nepali language, you pretty much call everyone your brother and sister, which I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. And yeah, just uh, building on the thing about community, Mm -hmm. I want to share one anecdote of when I was riding a bus through the country. I remember seeing, um, it was a really crowded bus. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing a lady hop on the bus with her child. Um, but since it was a really crowded bus, she had nowhere to sit. So she simply handed her baby to a lady who was already seated. Mm-hmm. Um, as a third person seeing this, you'd expect them to be at least like acquaintances or something. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that they weren't says a lot about their culture and how they sort of like support each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really inspiring to see and something that us from different cultures can learn a lot from just being able to build like community resilience and supporting each other and not constantly thinking of individual individual priorities as like the be all end all and that links into working as a community and as a collective to combat climate change because like you say while some of us can choose what we buy and how we consume things it just mm-hmm. one person isn't going to change this problem that we have so we really do need mm-hmm. to work together yeah so if you could change one thing about the world relating to sustainability and climate change what would you change i think If I were to change one thing related to sustainability, it would probably be redefining what it means to be successful. Mm -hmm. Because I think currently in our capitalist society, being successful simply means accumulating wealth and capital and being able to, as a country, earning a higher GDP, which simply Mm -hmm. translates to more money for Mm -hmm. the country. But I think if we redefine what success means, and normalize a more simple life and maybe focus more on happiness or individual well-being or collective well-being we'd be able to 
prioritize not only the citizens of every country, but also the health of the environment. Mm -hmm. For example, I read that in South America, they have this term in some areas called, uh, <laughs> apologies if I pronounce this wrong, but I think it's called <laughs> Buen Vivir. <laughs> and it essentially means a collective well-being. Mm -hmm. And it states that success hasn't been achieved if money is earned through means that devalues or harms your community. Mm -hmm. And I also saw a TED talk about Bhutan and how they're mm -hmm. the first carbon negative country. And it's interesting because this relates to the fact that they're a nation built on happiness. And I think part of their standards, part of their definition of success in the country involves contributing to the community in ways that benefits the environment and also uplifts other people. And so I think that if people focus more or like if society is focused more on these factors other than simply just yeah. accumulating wealth, we can be able to not only thrive more, but also take care of everyone. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. And I feel like, yeah, community is definitely the way forward. And I traveled to Fiji last year. I definitely experienced a similar thing that you talk about in Nepal with how they use their resources just in such a better way. They don't see things as kind of disposable like we do. Yeah, the sense of community in the villages is, I mean, we just don't have it anymore, really, in Western society. Uh, it is very individual and even noticing kind of. So I'm from like the north of England and I think we are quite friendly here. Like you get on a bus, you say hello and you might have a chat with the, the old lady sat next to you and stuff. But then if I travel like down south to London, you just don't get that. You don't sit on the tube and have a conversation with someone. And I feel like in the bigger cities, it is lost a lot. I don't know if you experienced that, maybe going from where you live in Hong Kong to the main island. I don't know if you notice a difference in how people interact with each other. Yeah, speaking on the whole interacting with neighbours and stuff, um, it was interesting because when we were living in the rural village in Nepal, um, everyone in the neighbourhood knew each other. Mm -hmm. And it was funny to compare this to my own life back home in Hong Kong mm -hmm. because I've been living in the same place for my whole life, so 19 years, and I don't <laughs> I know about three neighbours. Um, not Yeah, they're about... I, wouldn't be able to recognize some people mm -hmm. let alone yeah let alone speak to them or have a conversation on the way to school or mm -hmm. for some people to work um and during the festival that we were celebrating when we were in that village mm -hmm. some of it involves dancing at people's houses yeah. and it was just really funny because during the night time uh when the celebrations began mm -hmm. groups of people would just show up at the door of other families and start dancing at their house even if they were not technically invited and I just think that was such a prime example of how strong community is in some of those places and how that really just like shows mm -hmm. so are you ready for some quick fire questions yes I am okay. it's just five okay the first one is do you prefer organic cotton or tencel made from trees I'd say organic cotton. <laughs> Do you prefer drinking oat milk or soy milk? Oat milk, oatly. Yeah, everyone says that. I'm agreeing. I feel like if someone said soy, I'd be a bit personally offended because oat milk is just <laughs> so much better. Yeah. Do you prefer a reusable water bottle or a coffee keep cup? I would say a reusable water bottle just because <laughs> um, I've been using one since I was about three. So <laughs> that's an essential. Do you prefer traveling by train or bus? By bus. 
Really? Do you think that your time in Nepal really cemented the bus travel for you? I think it really did. Also, yeah, because I just sort of went backpacking up the east coast of Australia and we had we were taking a Greyhound or mm-hmm. Greyhound type bus mm-hmm. through the coast. And so I'm used to taking bus rides that last like 10, 15 hours. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just become a part of my life now. Sounds difficult to deal with. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm a small person, so it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah, yeah, I struggle with like room. <laughs> it's not as bad on trains as it, it can be on buses. Um, yeah. Do you prefer buying vintage or upcycled? Oh, that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Do you ever upcycle yourself? No, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> I would say vintage just because I have, I guess, more experience with secondhand clothing. Mm-hmm. In Hong Kong, do they have charity shops? We have a couple but there really aren't a ton in Hong Kong mm-hmm. as of now I, yeah, we have some shops mm-hmm. and that's about it because I well in the UK we have loads and loads of charity shops and then I moved to Italy last year and there were just no charity shops there were lots of like vintage shops but no kind of mm-hmm. like charity shops so I just wondered because I, I I didn't realize that not everywhere had charity shops so now I'm asking everyone from a different country like do you have a thing <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued um, yeah well not that I'm aware of (laughs) yeah it's more like vintage or like thrift shops yeah but only even then there are only a few of them Mm -hmm. yeah so is it not that common to kind of buy secondhand yeah I think the trends increase um yeah increasing in Hong Kong but we I think people still turn to apps we have like a depop alternative Mm -hmm. that's for people Hong Kong code carousel mm-hmm. and I think people use that more than actually going to physical physical stores in Hong Kong yeah just because you find styles that suit you more mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot easier to kind of narrow yeah. It down. yeah okay well thank you very much this has been really interesting um to chat yeah. to you about kind of your experience in Hong Kong and also in Nepal so yeah and I hope that we can go forward and act more collectively and as a community in western societies yeah thank you so much for your time i loved being on this podcast (laughs) it's really fun so yeah thank you very much um and have a nice day you too thanks for listening to this episode of the ethical conversations podcast make sure to check out eugenia's blog veganhkblog.com and instagram eugrenia while you're at it follow the podcast on instagram at ethical conversations podcast if you've got a spare two minutes give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, share two instagram stories and let me know your thoughts on the episode i would love to hear them I've been your host at Jesswick underscore and I hope you'll tune in next week for some more ethical conversations. Bye for now.